Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Do you like wine? Do you like bad pronunciations? Do you like hearing stories of women from history you probably haven't heard of? Well, welcome to Whining About History, the podcast that gives you all three and so much more. Where best friends Emily and Kelly talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of and drink a crap ton of wine while doing it. I am Emily. I am Kelly. And thank you for joining us today on this misadventure <laughs> of mispronunciation misadventure of mispronunciations i love that that is that i don't is have any french today so we should i should be okay. i don't either thank god sorry france yeah, I know. <laughs> so i have a say their name a very yes. special say their name it's it this is coming a few weeks late but it's what happens when we record in We're recording in the past, so in right now it's relevant. Timey-wimey nothing. So our say their name is Amanda Gorman, who, um, if you don't know, was the poet laureate that spoke at Biden's inauguration on January 20th, 2021. It was an absolutely amazing speech. It brought me to tears. It is called The Hill We Climb. And it, I mean, it was Go watch it. Like, regardless of what country you're in or what your political beliefs are, go, like, watch her recite it because she enunciates and, like, and uses her hands to, like, punctuate her sentences. It was a really sentences. beautiful like, performance. It was gorgeous. It, like, the poem itself is amazing, but her performance of it was really I mean, amazing. So she she's only 22. She's... Young. She is the youngest poet to, to speak ever have performed an inauguration. inauguration. Yep, yes. and she was America's first child poet laureate. Like they, she was the first. Like they created it, and she was the first one to receive that. Yeah, I think it's youth. Poet yeah, laureate. national youth poet laureate, and that was in 2017. She went to Harvard. I mean, she's kind of amazing. This girl is a living, breathing history hero in the making. And I'm I'm so excited to see what she does uh, next. She wants to run for president in 2036. She, she has won. my vote. I'm yep. telling you right now. She has my vote. Uh, Hillary Clinton tweeted her support of <laughs> that as well. And I, what was cool is, so, you know, obviously Maya Angelou is probably a huge inspiration for oh, her. Oh, absolutely. And she actually, on the day of the inauguration she was wearing a ring that was a bird after I know why the caged bird sings by Maya Angelou and it was given to her by Oprah oh I I heard it was given to her by Oprah but I didn't know the Maya Angelou and what I love is so Oprah tweeted I have never been prouder to see another young woman rise brava brava Amanda Gorman Maya Angelou is cheering and so am I so that's what Oprah wrote and Amanda in response wrote thank you I would be nowhere without the women whose footsteps I dance in. While reciting my poem, I wore a ring with a caged bird, a gift from Oprah for the occasion to symbolize Maya Angelou, a, p- a previous inaugural poet. Here's to the women who have climbed my hills before. I'm going to start crying And I'm again. like, you're my history hero. I, I watched that video. I, I was in tears. It oh, was yeah, so no, her, beautiful. Oh, God, her poem was so beautiful. And, and what she was... had started writing it, and she was writing it, and then she was watching the Capitol riots happen, yeah. and so she like incorporated that into it. It's just a. I want that poem on my wall. We need it on our history wall. I was actually thinking, like, if I had a poem tattooed on my body, it this would be would that. Be- yep. <laughs> well, and what was really amazing about the poem was that it was hopeful, 
But it was also grounded in the reality that to be the country and to be the people we want to be, it's going to take a lot of hard work. And it's possible, but we have to work at it, you know? Right. So so there there was this this optimism, but it wasn't just, we're great and this is going to be great. It was right. like, we need to want yeah. it and we need to work for it. So and that was really This is a quote amazing. that she, she was interviewed by Anderson Cooper on like one of the late night shows. Aww. And this is what she said about her speech. She said, quote, to me, words matter, and I think that's kind of what made this inauguration that much more sentimental and special. We've seen over the past few years the ways in which the power of words has been violated and misappropriated. And what I wanted to do was to kind of reclaim poetry as that site in which we can repurify, resanctify not only the Capitol building that we saw violated, but the power of words and to invest that in the highest office of the land. I have no words. She took all of them. That's amazing. Yeah. So she is 1000% not even just our say their name, but our living, breathing history hero. And she's done so much and she is so young. And so to be able to know that she's going to be able to do so much more, like she's one to watch. I feel like, you know how when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was alive, everyone was like, protect her. You know, I feel like we need to protect Amanda. Amanda. Yes. Like everyone needs to stand well, up and, and fight for her. <laughs> when I briefly read her Wikipedia, I, I saw that she watched a speech by Malala Yousafzai or how I don't know how you pronounce it. OK, Malala. So- I, I think it's Malala Yousaf, but that's how I've heard it. But then when I saw it written out, I fucked it up. And if you saw our Patreon yep. gift opening video when I fucked up her name, that's why. Because I was suddenly like, I don't know if I'm saying this. Right. So she's, she watched, um, a, in 2013, she watched Malala give her Nobel laureate speech. And that made Amanda want to become a youth delegate for the United. So she was that too. Like, so she's done all these things. And then, yeah, she became first the poet, the youth poet laureate of Los Angeles in 2014. And then she became America's first youth poet laureate in 2017. Like all the things she's doing, I'm I'm seeing them and hearing them in the narrative of our notes. You know? Yeah. She was born here at the state and then she became the L.A. youth. Youth I mean, Poet Laureate and then the National and she spoke at the inauguration, became the youngest person to do so. And then she ran for president. Then she was the first female president. Everything's amazing and we love her. And the, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm really excited. And it was it was really moving. It was really touching. And it, it was cleansing. It really like, was. I listened to that and I just kind of felt at peace. I, I did, too. Like I was like tearing up, but it was like it set the mood for thing. everything that inaugurate the inauguration day should have stood right. for you yeah. know hope and did and yeah i agree hope but also an acknowledgement of the work that needs to be done yeah cheers amanda we love you Good and clink. we're if you want to know what we're drinking we're drinking the same wine as last episode with that really sexy description yeah what was it uh smooth and supple attack. <laughs> smooth and supple attack something like that yeah, so it is the La Grande which is a Bordeaux. <laughs> and actually, we were going to return to a wine that we had drank previously, which was the Cat 2. It uh, had been too long. What was it? I don't know. if it was, yeah. I think it was maybe a Cab Sauv. I think it was I, a Cab uh, I pour, So it's not just the same wine 
type. It is literally the same exact wine that we drank only God knows how long ago. I poured it into my glass. I took a whiff. It smelled like raisins and death. I took a sip and I was like, Kelly it's not took terrible. A whiff and then took a sip and was like, it's fine. So I took a sip and I'm like, Kelly, your taste buds have died. <laughs> like, there is no way we can drink this. Oh. So to avoid wasting wine again in the future, we are finishing off our Bordeaux from our last episode because we want to be responsible wine drinkers. Whites must last longer because last time I drank two, finished two of our whites and they were both mine. That or we drank them more recently. You know, we're, we should really stop talking about drinking rancid wine. No, I left this wine out for three weeks. It was fine. Hey, they're all corked. (laughs) See, maybe that's the thing. But a lot of our whites are screw-ons. So maybe they just stay better because it's easier to like. I don't know why the cottage cheese went bad when I left it on the counter. It had a (laughs) lid on it. (laughs) That's how I feel about that wine. (laughs) We're also pairing this with some uh, sugar-free strawberry lemon drink. Strawberry lemon drink is excellent. I might actually drink more of that than Um, the wine because it tastes yummy. If you have a Sam's Club in your area, that's where they sell it. Hashtag Sam's Club sponsor us. Yeah. (laughs) Please. I will talk about your shit. Sam's Club empower women. All right. So I get to go first. Yes. We are actually. I know. As we are coming into (laughs) February, this will be released on February 1st. First? Oh, good Lord. So we are starting Black History Month and we cover people of color throughout the year. But we like to, when there's uh, months that feature, like, you know, when our nation is celebrating different things, whether it's Pride People Month, of Color, Pride Month, Black History Black, Month. Thank you. Various things. I'm pretty sure someone told us about a different month that I can't think of what it, it is. It was now. Um, Indigenous yeah, People's Heritage Month, which actually is a very new thing. So I, I so didn't we'll be feel doing as that. embarrassed. I didn't know it. No, yeah. And we, we, we don't do every single month that has a re- some kind of representation. Just kind of the first year we did the podcast, we were like, October should be villains. And we definitely should do Pride because I love that. And Black History Month. So we, we are kind of, it's our show. We're kind of picking and choosing. But we do try to provide a widespread representation of women across the world. But this month, we are going to be focusing on black women who kick fucking ass. Right. And they're probably going to be American-centered, let's be honest. Mine is. Mine is, too. (laughs) I was going to cover someone who wasn't, but then I found out about this lady. I was like, I know, this sounds fun. And I believe both of our stories are coming from our listener, Artemis, and they are amazing, and we love you. And so thank you so much for sending us another email after your first one. And please keep sending us recommendations, Artemis. Please keep you. doing our work for us. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Nice. <laughs> like, because they even included like three links for each name they gave us. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just, hey, here's, here's these women. It's, hey, here's these women and here's resources for you. So, Artemis, I love you. And if you are just kind of skipping around, Artemis actually is the one who informed us of Indigenous Peoples Heritage Month. And then uh, I believe it's Indigenous Peoples Heritage 
day. And so we did a, it might actually be Native American Heritage. I don't remember what they call it exactly. Let me, let me pull over email. You know you what talk. we're talking about. But uh, so we did a special episode with recommendations from Artemis uh, of Indigenous Peoples. And that was when Kelly covered, you covered Maria Tallchief and I called, mm-hmm. covered Wimatu. Yeah. Yeah. Who made trouble for the English settlers and was like, get the fuck out of here. You know, we're, we're broke AF. Um, Artemis, but if you want to be like our permanent researcher, we'll take you. It's <laughs> work for free. Unpaid intern, and you get paid in our never-ending gratitude and love. Yeah. Also, we, we Artemis has you. like the best name. I just want to say, I okay, love Okay, so that name. it makes me think of a book series I read when I was a kid. It makes me think of Artemis Fowl. Yep. Which apparently the, I don't remember if it was a TV series or a movie series that they made based on the book. I think they apparently, made like one movie. It's shit. Yeah, because they made don't one movie. Don't watch it. Um, well, no, it's kind of like Aragon and that series. Like I loved the series and then I heard the movie was shit and I'm like, yeah. not going to watch that. So I never did. But yeah, so... So Artemis, you are, you know, top 10, top five, top two. Love you. It's it's like Artemis is up there. Veronica is up there. Tess is up there. All of our patrons are up there. Yep, our, our funerary cult. We we love all of you. Yeah. E- equally. And deeply. It's so much love. It's disgusting. Yeah. I like, feel you know sick. Those, you know those couples you see in like out in the world and you're like you oh that's up. so gross i love that's you us. more that's, that's no, how much love we love you, you. More. i love you more God. you stop listening to the podcast no you, you stop, stop listening, listening to the, the podcast. podcast please don't stop listening to the yeah podcast. please don't <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. someone's just like i mean fuck they told me i guess right. i'll stop listening <laughs> so artemis we love you and so this these are based on artemis's recommendations and so, Kelly, you are regaling us with our first story. Who so are you whining I'm, about today? I'm whining about Sarah Rector. Sarah Rector. That is a name. I love it. Wrecked her. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So she was born in 1902. So travel back with me tonight. No. She was born um, near Taft, Oklahoma, which at that time, Taft was an all-black town. It's in the eastern portion of Oklahoma, which was then part of Creek Indian Territory. And she was descended from the slaves of Creek Indians. So she was African-American, but the Creeks had African-American slaves. And so she was descended from their slaves, but she was living in Indian Territory. Okay. Okay. I I, I see. I see. So she was was the descendant of black slaves who had been owned by the Creek Creek tribe. Yeah, exactly. So she lived on Creek Indian Territory. Her parents were Rose McQueen and Joseph Rector, who I said they were they were both descendants from slaves of the specifically the Mus- Muscogee Creek Nation, which became just part of the Muscogee Creek Nation in 1866. So it's like all of them. So there was something called the Dawes Rolls, which came about that said that these descendants of these Creek Nation Indians uh, were f- considered freedmen. So these Dazerals said, hey, these slaves and their descendants are considered freedmen. Great. And that they were each entitled to a land allotment, which came under the Treaty of 1866, which was made between the United States and the the five civilized tribes. So this is kind of when they were like, okay, let's integrate 
uh, Native Americans in, you know, like, let's try to not take their land anymore and kind of integrate everyone together, even though they still took their land. I was going to say it, it wasn't so much integrate. It was assimilation. Yeah, and, it was not yeah. good. Um, anyways, so not only were these tribes given land, but these freedmen that were descendants of these tribes' slaves were also given land. So about 600. Hundred African American children, or as they were known, the Muscogee Freedmen. Okay, the, these miners were given land allotments, and it wasn't just the children; like the parents were too. But it was six hundred children. It, it was like a mass reparations kind of thing, exactly. And unfortunately, though, the lands that they were kind of granted—you know, like the tribes people, the actual Creek Indians—you know—they took the good land for themselves, and so. A lot of the allotments that were given to these freedmen were shit. Yeah. They were unfarmable. They, you know, full of rocks. They were just, they were the shit Like scrubland. Right. So Sarah in particular got 159.14 acres, which is a 64 hectares, which I'm sure they went by hectares. It was only valued at about $556.50, which is about... I want to say like $3,000 today. So it was, for that much land, that's nothing. Yeah. So this was, ma- like I said, this was mandatory. It was part of the quote unquote integration of Indian territory with the Oklahoma territory, which, you know, obviously now we know is as the state of Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know why I kept that in my notes. Um. Anyway, so oh, we, we have international listeners. It's important to explain exactly. things so everyone's on board. So this parcel of land that was allotted to Sarah was about 60 miles or 97 kilometers for our international, for international listeners. listeners for um, 99% of the world. Exactly. From where she and her family were living. So it was located in Glenpool why they lived um, in Taft. So it was about 60 miles away, which is not easy. You know, that's like a non easy distance. It's kind of like shit. Yeah. Which we already know. Um, and like I said, it was inferior land, not suitable for farming, um, because the better land was reserved for members of the tribe and white settlers. So the family, even though she was one of six children, and so all of the kids kind of got their own land allotment, um, they lived simply not in poverty. They weren't like super bad. However, um, Sarah's land carried a $30 annual property tax. I don't know why hers in particular covered that. Um, but it was it was a burden to them. Like they lived simply, and her father actually posi- position petitioned positioned <laughs> no petitioned the Muskegee County Court to sell Sarah's land. You know he was oh. like, we can't afford this thirty dollar property tax every year because it was it was just her land. I- yeah, that's that that's all they talk about. Although like maybe her the siblings carried it too, and this was just about her story because I mainly read about her. Right, I, right, know, I didn't right. Dig into it, so who knows. But he, so he, he tried to sell the land, um, but his petition was denied because there were certain restrictions placed on the land because, like, they were minors and they were like, you know, they're supposed to be allotted this land, you know. So it was kind of like they were just like, no. For various reasons, they told him no. So to help cover the expenses, her father leased Sarah's parcel of land to the Standard Oil Company because, you know, why not? You know, it's, it's something some to money. pay. Yeah. You know, and so during that time, I was released. Well, and I'm, I'm sorry, I just want to back up. She's a child right She's now, a child. Right? Okay, yep. so the family has been allotted this land. Yep, each child on, got a chunk of land. But yeah, based on the number of children. So it's like this chunk is technically yours, even though you're a child, but the 
father is kind of running the show yeah. because again they're children so she would have been about nine okay in the in the section i'm about to cover 1911 so her her father leased sarah's parcel of land to the standard oil company okay so you know they were doing their mining whatever it was fine you know it was enough to at least cover that taxes however two years later billionaire oil driller as they called him who was kind of like a freelancer he didn't work for a company doug dimidome of the dimsdale dimidome exactly. <laughs> that's all i'm that's who i'm imagining um, with a giant hat. So his name was bb jones bb jones of the bb jones dimidome <laughs> <laughs> um so he came in and was like you know, kind of working alongside the oil company to like mine his own oil. And he produced what was known as a gusher. Texas tea. Yeah, exactly. Black gold. gold. Yeah, I know that's what it made me think of too. Um, so he produced what a really good vein of oil. I don't know what it's called. It, it's basically the idea that you you you've struck oil and it's spouting it's like out, of out of the ground. Yeah. So this gusher, which I just absolutely love that. God, I um, love gushers. Brought now. in about twenty 2,500 barrels a day. Oh, fuck. Um, so Sarah was now receiving an income of $300 a day, which is a modern equivalent of about 7,500 every single day. You know, I want to make $7,500 in a week. Wait, how much I, do I make in a week? I would make that in a month and yeah. be very happy. I, oh, I want yeah. so little. I know. Anyways, That's so she insane. was making that every single day so once her wealth became known things started happening oh well we'll we'll give you shit land until it's worth something and then we want it back so the law at the time required full-blooded indians black adults and black children who were citizens of indian territory with significant property or money to be assigned a well-respected unsexy finger quotes white guardian Fuck that shit. So, obviously, she was making a ton of money. And so, basically, as soon as people found out that Sarah was receiving this windfall, there was a lot of pressure on her parents to change her guardianship to a a white resident. So, instead of just picking some, like, random white person, they found an individual known to the family who was named TJ or JT. I read it both ways. (laughs) Porter. So, we're just going to call him Mr. Porter. Sarah's allotment then under uh, Mr. Porter's guidance became part of the Cushing Drumright oil field. Um, More wells were built and it was very productive. And so Sarah's um, allotment became very profitable. And by 1913, she was receiving about $11,567 a month. Their money. So it's even more our money. Yeah, but that's so much less than she was making because if she was bringing oh, maybe it's maybe seven... it's eleven thousand five hundred and sixty seven no this is in wait in, in in that times money yeah that or in... times money. oh okay i was gonna say because if she was making no, the equivalent of seven thousand dollars a day and now no, she's she just made, making she eleven hundred a month eleven thousand in a month in okay their money i didn't convert that one all right so she's at least yeah. she's still making money because oh, i'm making like, a she's making bank okay just 
I should let you finish the story, but should I hate Mr. Porter? Does he actually not I mean, turn he, out to be a massive fa- He comes out fairly clean. Okay. Because um, I hate what he does and who what this whole system is bullshit. Oh, no. Like, I, I touch on other... It's straight it's up... Bad. We'll it's give you land so as long as we don't think it has value, but the second it, we think it has value, well, you then be you... A white we person own you. has to be in charge of it. Yeah, yeah, because God forbid you are autonomous yeah. over your own life. Um, so as news of Sarah's wealth spread worldwide, she began to receive requests for loans, monies, and even marriage proposals, despite the fact that she was only 12. Oh, ew! Gross! Another thing that happened, which I read, I read this both ways. So I read that they either tried or they succeeded. I'm going to go with tried just based on other things I've read. So in, they tried, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma legislator made an effort to have her declared white. She wasn't. She definitely wasn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. But what? They, they said they wanted to make her white so that she could elevate her social standing, ride in the first class car, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe just don't be racist, y'all. But more importantly, if she was considered a white woman, white men could legally propose to her. And then take her money. Exactly. You motherfuckers, you dirty motherfuckers. So oh, I you're the subservient read, race right. until we just get to decide who's what race and um, it benefits us. I know, it's this bullshit. is no, and like both of her parents are African American descended. Yeah. So she is very clearly an African American. Yeah. That is insane to me. Yeah. Because like So I, I read one thing that said that it did happen. But most of the other ones said they just tried. So I'm going to go with they tried. and failed. Hopefully they failed because that and it just shows the hypocrisy of all of this. So I do have some quotes coming up that I'm direct quoting things. So like none of them are real. Like none of them are real bad. Like I would never say the N word or anything like that. But some of them are definitely not today appropriate. But just know that I'm direct quoting and that's not something I would say. The quotes from the past do not reflect our personal feelings on the future. But they do help to explain the context of what is going on right now in the story. So as things developed, this preteen millionaire, essentially, newspaper like... All these stories started coming out about Sarah, most of which weren't true. It started off with the Denver... Like she's white. Right. <laughs> it started off with the Denver Star, which was a thousand miles away, which called Sarah a Negro girl 10 years old. Like, that. that's just... Good job. At least they're acknowledging uh, she's a child. Right. <laughs> and they reported on her per, uh, impressive income. And at this point, she wasn't 10. She was 12, 13, 13, I think, at this point. According to the article, Sarah's income taxes were the highest in the entire state of Oklahoma. And her profit was over $112,000 a year, which is equivalent to about $3 million today. Oh, my God. So she was making about $3 million a year. Uh, Didn't we talk about how MC... I almost said MC Hammer. That's C- embarrassing. CJ Walker. Madam CJ Walker. Madam CJ Walker. Weren't we trying to figure out if she was the first mm-hmm. black woman millionaire? They list Sarah as the second. But this takes place way before her story, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm pretty sure we were we we figured out that Madam CJ Walker wasn't. Yeah, there was there was some other I don't know, I'd have to actually look business. up when Madam CJ Walker was alive. Go back I and have listen too to that much episode. Stuff on my mind. Yeah. Um okay. So among all these news stories, what became abundantly clear, and probably not at the time, but definitely now what became abundantly clear is it really showed 
white America's intense discomfort with a rich person of color. Yes. Like, especially if they're a woman. An Iowa newspaper wrote that Sarah was under sympathetic guardianship and promised that the girl would receive the best of education of which she was capable. Fuck them. Um, the piece concluded with a, with saying that perhaps Sarah could become a great force for good among her people. Oh, yeah. Fuck them. Everyone oh, yeah. can get fucked sky high right now. Unfortunately, it doesn't get better even with African-American journals. So the Chicago, oh, no. the Chicago Defender, which was a great paper, like it was one of. It was like the one of the first, if not the first, African American run newspapers. Like it was, it was huge. But they obviously began to take an interest in Sarah as things began to fly. Some some people, not the Chicago Defender, but other newspapers, were implying that she was a white immigrant who was being kept in poverty. Trust me, she was not. <laughs> but she's not any of those things. So. I have some quotes coming up about the Chicago. So one one quote the Chicago Defender said was, quote, the white people have become so alarmed at the enormous wealth of this young girl that they do not like such wealth belonging to a girl of Afro-American blood. That much is true. That is very true to the point where they are pretending she's, she's white, white. Yeah. and trying to legally categorize her as white. Exactly. The newspaper went on to publish an article claiming that her estate was being mismanaged by her family and that she was uneducated and had a poor quality of life. So that's everything the Chicago Defender said, which was not entirely true. Like they lived simply, but they weren't poor. Well, I mean, with all the money she's bringing in, were they living up to that standard? I mean, they weren't like lavishly spending no gold they, toilets no but no they, mo- tower they moved named into like them. a house appropriate you know they lived they moved into like a five-bedroom cottage and okay like they weren't it comes up okay um so this article that the chicago defender wrote caught like caught national african-american leaders attention like booker t washington and w.e.b du bois and they became concerned for her welfare which is good like we we need people who aren't trying to exploit her to care about her so they launched basically a special investigation it was run by the naacp or the national association for the advancement of colored people so the person that did the investigation was called james c waters jr And so he did this investigation, kind of just checking on her, essentially. And he sent a memo to um, W.E.B. Du Bois regarding her situation. He had been kind of talking to the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the United Children's Bureau um, regarding her estate. And he wrote of her white financial guardian this. Is it not possible to have her cared for in a decent manner and by people of her own race instead of by a member of a race which would deny her and her kind the treatment accorded a good yard dog? I'm going to give some big old claps for that. Because like, that's totally... Yeah. Like, like why can't she take care of herself or have her yeah, family why can't manage her, it? Why can't her parents manage her own estate? Yeah. It's... And, you know, I want to say it's because they viewed people of color as the lesser race. But what it really boils down to is that they want control over that money and that wealth. Oh, that's exactly it. So his memo went on to contain details um, pertaining to this investigation that he had done, which was like over a month or two. So what they found was not necessarily like huge mismanagement, especially compared to some of the other stories that you can read about during this time. It was shown that like because supposedly her family was living in a two-room shack was what was reported that wasn't true they had moved into a five-bedroom home Mm -hmm. like they definitely like moved up 
Some of the stories of the time were alleging that she wore no shoes and cheap dresses and had no education. One of the quotes from the newspapers that made this investigation happen was that they said was she was a real southerner who gets a fabulous sum of money a year, lives on the fat of the land with her money and does not give his colored char. Oh, no, this is what they said about her guardian. Sorry. So, so th- this a real is southerner, yep, who okay. gets a fabulous sum of money a year, lives on the fat of the land with her money, and does not give his colored charge the care he would a white girl. That's what they said. That might actually be kind of true, though, because if like if right. that was his own daughter, I bet she'd be. Oh yeah, I, I I feel like there's a bit of truth in a lot of these assertions. Like she's not doing as poorly as some people are reporting, but right. she wouldn't be doing as well as she would be if she actually maybe was white, right? So, like, while she wasn't necessarily being super maltreated, she she definitely wasn't probably receiving her due. And this caused both W.E.B. Du Bois and his newspaper, The Crisis, to kind of, like, challenge the status of particularly not only white guardianship, but white male guardianship. Um, and this caused this caused kind of more widespread wholesale protests, as someone reported. And this happened because of Sarah's guardianship and because of other similar cases particularly in oklahoma oil like country because obviously that's where there's a lot of money to be made and it's a lot on those shit plots of land that they didn't realize found the oil exactly so what they said is so this is a, a newspaper called the new york age i don't think it's around anymore so they said the number of Quote, native Negro children with allotments in the hundreds whose wealth reaches far into the thousands. And in every case, they, like Sarah Rector, have white guardians. The paper questioned why a black guardian could not be appointed who would be fully invested in the girl's welfare and claimed when a quote unquote native child allotment is or of is of little or no value, the parents or some other Negro may be appointed as guardian, but if there is any wealth involved, a white guardian is invariably appointed. Regardless of wealth, ability, and high standing, the probate judge never deems a Negro sufficiently competent to act as a guardian for the wealthy Negro child. The newspaper also, this newspaper and other newspapers also kind of like hinted at the fact that the courts were probably biased and involved in grafting schemes. So what's a what's a graph? That's what I was about. To okay, tell okay. You. I, I will stop. <laughs> no, you're no, you're questions. fine. Because I had to look it up. So honestly, don't worry about it. So a grafting scheme is like a form of corruption. Basically, apparently, it's also a horticultural. It's a horticultural technique as well. But the one we're talking about is um, basically the use of authority for personal gain. It's usually used in politics. I was going to say. <laughs> um, but in this case, it's not political. Okay. So it's basically they're they're using their positions for their own benefit. Yeah. I mean, that's and exactly that happen- what's that happened all here. the time in this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, other African-American presses echoed these sentiments that, you know, like, why can't our children be appointed uh, guardians of their own race? Um, it basically, and a lot of them expanded the issue from that of black children's fortune to the widespread of just racial solidarity and racial inequality. You know, uh, the New York age wrote, quote, the money of these colored children is deposited in white banks and used by whites. Not a penny, however, can be used by a Negro. Thus millions of dollars in valuable land are gradually passing from the hands of Negroes to white people. Another press called White Guardianship abominable and outrageous and wrote, if the colored people were allowed to control these millions of dollars of wealth, 
which is owned by their own race, we could build banks, railroads, factories, warehouses, and establish a suitable commercial standing as a race. It's just the continued disenfranchisement of people of color. It's continuing to keep them in servitude and under the thumb of the white government. Right. Um, And even and we we've we've touched on this in the podcast before, but throughout American history in particular, there are just a multitude of examples of black people in particular, but people of color gaining economic independence and success and just really doing well. And that pissing racist people off. So and, bad. And just and then there's there's this blowback. Uh seriously, Google Black Wall Street. Yeah. Um, I was just reading about the executive order that uh FDR signed that legalized the internment of Japanese Americans, also oh. Italian Americans, um, and German Americans. But part of it, the the Western the West Coast, where a lot of uh Japanese Americans had settled, were super racist against mm-hmm. them and they were very envious because they had found economic success in this country and this was a great way for them to s- get back at them because Japanese Americans they lost their businesses and they did not get them back after the internment was over they were bu- their homes were bought and sold oh yeah no and they had shit. no right to anything they walked out of those places with what they had walked in with and that was it It was the clothes on their back that was it and this is just the continued disenfranchisement of people of color and trying to take any success that they have and somehow reappropriate it to the people in power which in this case is a lot of white people (laughs) exactly it's a whole bunch of bullshit that's like half. that's like a beautiful way to summarize everything it's a whole bunch of bullshit so this concern obviously stemmed from the guardians charging sums of money from their services or arranging deals profitable to themselves and their other acquaintances but not giving any money to their charges whether or not her abuse was true sarah's alleged abuse and her fame you know through the papers and stuff made her a figurehead for this problem unfortunately the details specifically about her history with the garden guardianship are conflicting and murky. Like I said, we know she received marriage proposals, some of them international, like some German men, like, you know, almost all of them from white men. I'm still imagining this 13-year-old girl and everything just seems really gross. Exactly. It's unfortunate. Um, While the papers claimed that she was being abused, no direct content was ever, like, found of that, which is, you know, good. And they said... You know, so between the correspondence between W.E.B. Du Bois and so he actually got so involved that he started contacting like a judge that was in the area. The judge actually told him, you know, that she had moved into a five room cottage and that her and her siblings were attending school like they weren't, you know, uneducated and like in this terrible situation like they seemed to be. According to the judge, Sarah's parents had actually selected her guardian. So it wasn't just like some rando white dude that was appointed by the government exactly. who would do what they wanted. And Sarah was, uh, or not Sarah, Porter, Mr. Porter, her guardian, was only receiving about 2% of Sarah's income, which was actually a relatively low figure for the time. So he okay. doesn't sound like a trash person. The thing is, this Let's whole say, situation. There was a lot of trash persons out there, and the fact that she had to be appointed a white guardian is trash. Yeah. But it sounds like he being a guardian was not total trash. 
So if we're if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt in this situation, even though the whole situation is rife with opportunities for exploitation, mm-hmm. he maybe didn't indulge in those opportunities or at least to the extent that other people might have or could have or did. So like, yay, but the whole situation is so skeevy. It is. Can you can you imagine? Imagine so, that so, happening today and what people would say. Can you imagine like even even as a woman Having a man appointed to you when you start making a certain level yeah. of income because you cannot be trusted right. to I mean, manage just it. Think about it as the second your finances, your entire being was literally transferred from your father to your husband. Yeah. You are a commodity. And this child You were is something being... to be traded, and that's essentially what they yeah. were treating these children as. And like I don't know if you get into this later, but so first of all, the story is fascinating, and I didn't know any of this this is mind-blowing and i'm trying to wrap my head around it but we haven't heard from sarah at all yeah she doesn't really it talk is, about it it is all the events surrounding her she she is the center of this controversy but it sounds like a lot of information on her what was actually going on yeah. no, what she doesn't she really thought talk about, about it, it. All of that has been lost, and that sucks. I know. I want to talk to her. I, I want to talk to Sarah. It's like when they talk about, like, it's so hard because, like, you know, every once in a while you get that stupid icebreaker question of, like, oh, if you could have dinner with, like, famous dead people, who, yeah, who I, would it be? It's like, I have a list. So many. Like, literally probably every woman we've talked about. We, But we, some more than others that, like ones that they're like well we don't know if she actually existed or yeah. like this where it's like we don't really have her side of the story because why would they record that right right because you she, could see because the look i just gave emily like she was a commodity really? yeah i know for, for everyone in this and yeah. that's really sad so during this time her her property was still being operated by that oil man bb jones that i mentioned bb jones of the bb jones zimidome exactly. um <laughs> and it was reported in 1915 that they were making about 160,000 barrels of oil a month she got about one eighth of that and so she got one eighth of the total profit and then he got two percent of her one eighth her guardian got two percent of her one okay that's more a oil company thing than her her guardian, but you know, so she got one eighth, which is about twenty thousand barrels a month at ninety cents a barrel, which was about eighteen thousand dollars a month, or a daily income of six hundred dollars in their money. Good I didn't God. convert any of that. And yeah, so everyone, this is back then money, so just like millions of dollars right. nowadays. Um, this amount of money a day was basically that was just bonkers. That is insane. The daily income of most Americans during that time was about $60 a day. Good God. She's making 10 times the amount of an average American. An average white American. I still love that her dad tried to sell this hugely profitable land. (laughs) So as this was all going on, Booker T. Washington at this time um, established what was known as the Tuskegee Institute, which was, I believe, a college? No, no. A high school for all black people students black students students i was like not people um specifically students so he invited sarah to come and you know it was a boarding school so um you know he was like when you are done because she was in school in taft so she was like you know he's like when you're of age come to the tuskegee institute and learn and she did 
Great. So she graduated her school and went to the Tuskegee Institute, which was in Alabama. By the time she hit 18, she was already a millionaire. She was the first black female millionaire in Kansas City. And they think the second black female millionaire overall. Unfortunately, like we've said multiple times, even in just in this story, records are murky. Yeah. So it's it's hard to know. So by the time she was 18, she owned stocks, bonds, a boarding house, a bakery, the Busy Bee Cafe, which I love. I love that. Um, which was in Muskogee, Oklahoma, in her hometown. Um, she owned other businesses and a 2,000-acre piece of prime river bottomland. I thought you were going to say a 2,000-acre piece of prime rib, and I was here for it. <laughs> yeah, that Give actually, me some horseradish and let real, me go. I'm real hungry. I am also really hungry. You should, I, I, you should text Jared and be like, so we're picking up... Uh, Texas Roadhouse on the way home, right? He actually, he so he likes Texas Roadhouse, but it doesn't agree with him. Oh, So I actually haven't had Texas Roadhouse in many years. The last time we, he and I did pick up we and we should picked get, out. We should get Texas Roadhouse. We somewhere. should get Justin to get Texas Roadhouse because we can't go anywhere right now. He's supposed to make dinner tonight, though. Oh, that's right. I would right. miss that next week. Okay. Next, next week, week, Saturday, we're, we're planning Texas for Roadhouse. this. Okay. Let's do this. I want a fucking blooming onion or cactus oh, yeah. blossom. Whatever no, they call we them. We the deep fried pickles. Oh, we'll get both. Good. We'll just get both. Okay. I anyways. remember. Okay. Just quick story time. I remember when I was still working at the daycare, I was also doing a part-time gig working with a, an art class as a figure model. Yeah. So I had worked I it out. That. I had worked out with my boss. I would open at 545 in the morning. Work until around noon when I would go to the art center and then do the modeling and I would come back and I would close at the daycare and I'd be there until around six. Kelly just got me a coaster and she is the sweetest person ever. That was really loud. (laughs) (laughs) But so I didn't have time to eat. I, I didn't have yeah. time to eat. And actually, that was, I, I have some intestinal problems. So that was also towards the beginning of that. And I was afraid to eat because when you're, oh, yeah, I remember when you're that. nude modeling for an art class, the last thing you want is to suddenly have to take a shit. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest about it. And so one time, I, at, like after work and everything, a bunch of my friends, I went to Texas Row House. I had not eaten all damn day. And they, Pop the buns with that cinnamon butter down. I ate oh everything God, I at know. the table. And I was like, get me more buns now. <laughs> Everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, I will be when I get more fucking bread rolls. Right. And it's like, just give me more bread, bitches. Give me my carbs. <laughs> oh my God. They're, I want to learn it's how to make their, oh like their, their butter and their, yeah. their buns. Oh, I just want to work there for like, Three weeks, teach me how to make your shit, and then I'm done. <laughs> Welcome to the fucking Get Me Some Texas Roadhouse podcast, right? where we talk about cinnamon just, butter cactus Just wait till, like, buns. next week when we're, like, one episode in, and then we have our Texas Roadhouse, and then we come back and record another episode. It's just going to be us munching, going... <laughs> <laughs> That's ASMR, right? Get in my mouth. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> so she, We were talking about prime... Prime Rib. <laughs> Prime River Bottomland, which I think is just what does really... What that mean? I think it's like really fertile land okay. by a river. Okay. So at the point where she was 18, after she finished um, school in Tuskegee, she moved her and her entire family. So let's see. It was six kids, but one died. Five kids. So her parents have five kids. To Kansas City, Missouri. So they, they picked up and moved. 
She purchased a house on 12th Street, which uh, is still there, actually, which wow. is definitely going to be on our history tour, and became known as the Rector House. It was a like mansion. That's what they consider it. Unfortunately, legal wrangling and mismanagement of her estate continued until she was about 20. She's um, so young when all this is going down. So, too. okay, so the, the, this is now a list of like random shit that happened when people tried to get her money. It's kind of great. So Fred Rector, her uncle, uh, decided to say that she was, quote unquote, dissipating her fortune and asked that G.C. Parker, a different white man, be appointed as her guardian. The next year, a different applicant, didn't even say who it was, sought uh, to be the guardian over her estate. Another resident, John Collins, who was a black man of Muskegee, attempted to wrest control of the estate through a recent change in Missouri law. So Missouri uh, in 19, what did I say? 22? In the 20s, uh, Missouri changed the age of uh, majority for women. Just for women. Wait, what is the age of majority? Like when they become an adult. Oh, like, so like in, in the United States, you're considered an adult when you're 18. 18. Yeah. So at this time, Missouri changed it for women from 18 to 21. And so this person was like, well, she's not she's not 20 because she was only 20. They're like, she's not 20, 21 yet. So she's not an adult. So I, I want her land. That's what this person did. Bunch of um, petty bitches. This she's disgusting. John also claimed that Sarah was incompetent and spent her money frivolously and would lose her fortune without better guardianship. So he named Monty Sampson as an appropriate white guardian for Sarah. Monty Sampson yep. sounds like a shyster. Obviously, all three of these allegations or requests were just greedy. Yeah. These people just fucking wanted her money. They didn't they didn't care about Sarah herself at all, including her uncle, which is just disgusting. Here's the other thing. The good she, thing is. Like, isn't it her right? Like, in the United States, aren't we all about you can do with your money what you will? Right, like, the, if she's people were allotted these lands. Yeah. This land happened to be fucking profitable. Who gives a shit? It's her land. It's her land. It's her money. Everyone go fuck yourselves. Justin's probably out there like, Kelly, you're yelling again. Hey. Because I guess last time. As is your right. Apparently <laughs> last time when I got really drunk because I finished two bottles of wine. I mean, it was one bottle total. But yeah, he was like, Kelly, you're yelling. And I'm like, too bad. We will not be silenced. By the way, we got a really nice message from uh, one of our longtime yeah. listeners, Katie, who was like, I love, love you, drunk Katie. Kelly. <laughs> what? I didn't see that message. Oh, that's because I re- Oh, shit. Okay. Well, Katie loves you and Aww. thought it was really sweet that, you know, we could share our feelings together. I love sharing And she's like, I love drunk Kelly and I just want to give you both a hug. And So are you, Katie? When you're this out there, is, this is you're Katie out there R, by the way. To me, Katie, this is Katie R. I figured. Because I'm pretty sure if it was the other one, you would have said double E because that's how yeah. we tell them apart. Katie, I know you're out there. Do you just want me to be drunk all the time? I will do that for you, Katie. <laughs> at least on the podcast. I can't be drunk at work. I would get, that would be bad. That would be real bad. <laughs> You're not operating on anyone. You're fine. That is true. That is actually a motto in our department. Are you serious? Our motto is nobody dies in EPD because EPD is education and professional development. So that's our motto. Please tell me no one dies in EPD. Please tell me you have shirts. I don't know, but we should make some. I should make some and just be like, here, guys, I made everyone's shirts. Nobody (laughs) dies in EPD. But like, no, because like when people get really stressed, that's what we tell them is we're like, you know, if you don't finish this today, it's fine. Nobody's going to die. Like, 
we're education. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I suddenly smell garlic and it smells really fucking good. And I was I like, what are you from. doing? <laughs> Anyways, so all of these people, pure fucking greed. Yeah. Luckily, the courts were like, no. Good for, for them. They, they told the one guy that laws were not rec- retroactive. So according yeah. to the law, she she was an adult. And then, you know, they found that she was mentally capable and fine with handling her own finances. Um, and she actually, not only was she mentally capable and fine with handling her own finances, she happened to keep some pretty impressive, impressive lawyers on retainer. Atta girl. Get it, Sarah. So at one point, she owned more than $750,000 in oil properties, and some papers estimate her wealth in Kansas and Missouri at one time over $1 million in their money. Like, and that's just, like, with properties. Yeah. So $30 billion in today's money. She's making bank. So at the height of her wealth, Sarah spent richly. It's not uncommon. Um, So... The house she bought was known as the Rector Manor. It was a stone building with supposedly an entire block surrounding it. So it had land. Yeah. You know, it it was almost like an estate, it sounds like. Eventually, she did go on to sell the mansion to a funeral home, which would later become a different funeral home. Uh, But now it's historically preserved. Oh, okay. I was like, can I get cremated there? I know, right? That's Um, amazing. So according to her son, because she did have a son... It comes it comes in a little bit later. She had rich tastes. She drove a green and black Cadillac. She threw grand parties for the black elite and jazz celebrities. She was known for her expensive vehicles, which in addition to that Cadillac I mentioned included a silver plater Lincoln and a, a Rolls Royce limousine that was chauffeur driven that she would have take like the neighborhood kids to school. That is the coolest school bus ever. Please tell me it had a hot tub in the back. 100%. Can you imagine those kids rolling up to school, sticking their heads out of the sunroof like, education, yeah. Um, She she was also very fond of buying extravagant clothing and diamonds. Besides the fact that she lived kind of lavishly, she was very quiet. Very private. Apparently, because we haven't heard anything exactly. from her. Um, while her name had, you know, been in a lot of headlines during her adolescence, details of her personal life in her adolescence and later are actually very difficult to find, which is why a lot of this is from other people's perspectives, unfortunately. She did go on to marry a local man named Kenneth Campbell. It was a very private wedding. It was her mom and her husband's grandmother. And that was Aww. it. They had three sons before divorcing. Oh, I know. It was sad. Um, but she would go on to, uh, or he would go on, or he, while they were married, he would open the second black-owned dealership in the country with her help. Um, she would go on to get remarried with to William Crawford, who owned a restaurant. And they would actually later expand to a second restaurant. Did they call it Bee's Place? I didn't, or whatever that was. Uh, what was it? The was Busy it? Bee? The Busy Bee, yeah. yeah. I, we're going to say it did because that's just cute. So during her life, she would, like I said, she often entertained for the black elite. And, and these black elite included Count Bassey and Duke Ellington. Like, oh my crust. God. Right, so she well, she had did have lavish parties and she lived well. Um, unfortunately, she did lose a bunch of her money during the Great Depression. Um, she did keep a lot of her properties though, and she owned properties in Kansas City and Oklahoma. She died in July twenty twenty second and ni- in nineteen sixty seven at the age of sixty five. So that's fairly young, but not that young for that 
time. That's what you have to remember. Did you say 1965? 1967. 1967. Okay. It blows. Okay. So the time when she was born and when all this is going on where, yeah, if a, if a person of color has land awarded to them by the government, you know, as it, as an are bad for allowing you to be a slave and then they can appoint a white person to manage that money because they want that seems so far away but the 60s do not right that is when the civil rights movement is in full swing and it, it seems like she lived so it's like such a vast space of history but right? then that she was only 65, She's only 65. i know so and much i feel like to her. i feel like there's this Incorrect perception that historical events happened so long ago, and it's like, well, it no, doesn't affect us anymore. Is so fucking recent, or it's like, oh, it doesn't affect us anymore. Well, first of all, it does. It's like, we'll get over it. I'll get over it when it stops affecting the present exactly. day. Tell me when all of this horrible shit ended. Right. Give me the date and the time and the year when it ended. You can't right. because it didn't. It still ripples through history and it's our effect. Our complete refusal to acknowledge the harm done in the past prevents us from correcting it in the present, making it an issue in the oh, future. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It like I just had like a time blown here. moment. No, it is. Like I, it, I have that so often on our podcast where I'm like, that wasn't that long ago. And yeah. that's insane. It's like those those things you see where it's there is more space in time there, there's more time between the stegosaurus and the t-rex than the t-rex and humans yeah where it's like isn't that crazy my perception of time means nothing <laughs> my head is blown anyways so she uh was buried in her hometown of taft oklahoma which we will probably go visit her grave at some point i would love that um, unfortunately her story remains little researched which is why like while I still had a decent story, like there's not a lot from her perspective. Yeah. And it's it's very complex because with all these headlines and stuff, it mixes in a lot of like unknowns of what's fact and what's fiction. Right. You know, unfortunately, unlike her, not every child came out of Oklahoma's oil boom unscathed. The one good thing that did come out of it is W.E.B. Du Bois and the NAACP. Um, they created like the child like the NAACP's like child protection agency f- from oh, this. Oh, great! So that's good. So it, like it, that came out real good. And it sounds like the publicity around her story helped got a lot them of paying other attention children. to the yes. exploitation of everyone else. Right. So and yay. I mean, we know Sarah got lucky because her guardian was probably comparatively honest, like compared to some other some of the other kids, and she thrived. You know, like. She got to go to school, she and then she got to live a, a fairly lavish life. And even though she was made a target of many men's greed, particularly white men, you know, she she did her own thing. She married two black men, like she very much lived. Who her didn't own life. steal all of her exactly? Money. Like, like she even got divorced at one point, and the thing that like took the majority of her money was the Great Depression, and even then, she still lived pretty well after that. Yeah. Her, her life was obviously heavily scrutinized and publicized as an adolescence, um, which is probably why she chose to live pretty secluded in her later life. After being a funeral home twice, her house did go on to be put purchased by a, a nonprofit who has restored it and keeps it for historical and cultural preservation. And I'm going to leave you with a thing from the Chicago Defender. So it says, quote, 
The white people have become so alarmed at the enormous wealth of this young girl. With all the traits and characteristics of an Afro-American, she has too much money and must be white. It's the same old idea of the white man that whenever a Negro achieves any distinction, either in scientific or literary world, some white man wants to declare them white. And I know my husband's cooking. I'm sorry. I can fucking smell it. I can too. And it's it's Um, very distracting. It is. Because it's garlic and I fucking love garlic. It's magically distracting. But it's so true. Like, I mean, you see that now, like, even if it's not white men trying to take the credit for it, they try to discredit them. And it still happens. Like, because when, like, Barack Obama became president, so many people were like, well, he's not actually American. Like, he came from South Africa. Like, people were like, oh, this is all the reasons he shouldn't be president. People tried to remove his citizenship as a natural born United States citizen. Because he wasn't white. And people also tried to say, well, he just got elected because he's black. And I'm like, when has that ever happened? Like, stop. Like, if anything, it's harder. Right. I'm like, you're you're kind of like going against yourself. You're saying he got elected because he was black, but America's so white centric that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I was like, so when did it suddenly become easier to be a black person in the United States? Tell me, give me the date and time. So, (laughs) but that was the story of Sarah Rector. And thank you, Artemis, for sending her as a recommendation. I don't think we would have ever heard of her. Like, Artemis, you are a hero here. Yes, she may have been like the second female black millionaire but like other like she's like it's so obscure and i i actually love that artemis sent that to us because it's not something we probably typically cover because we do cover a lot of firsts and stuff but this is something that it's like this is kind of like a shame for america these days absolutely you know so i i posted recently on instagram which if you're not following us wah pod um where i did I, i do a lot of on this day in history posts and I did one for the uh, On This Day in History for the Women's March in 2017, which was in mm-hmm. response to recently elected President Trump. It was the day after his inauguration. And it was a response to his misogynistic comments, his flippant bragging about sexually assaulting women, accusations about him assaulting women, uh, and concerns about people's future access to reproductive health care. Right. Totally valid. And something that was really cool about that march that I thought was notable was it was the largest single day protest in American history. And we only got two negative comments, but I've like we post things I've never had any blowback on. So I thought it was like of all the things we post, I thought it was interesting that this was so controversial, I guess. And we don't feed the trolls. I didn't respond. That's not... I don't care, you know? But one of the comments was the most embarrassing day in American history with the facepalm emoji. I was like, I can think of 10 off the top of my head without trying that I would find right. more embarrassing. And this entire saga is up there. Like, and what an interesting... And tragic and embarrassing and shameful piece of American history. I did not know anything about the Oklahoma oil boom and how the United States government took advantage of people of color when they succeeded because the United States government gave them land because they didn't care about the land, but they reserved the right to care about it if it yielded value. Like, how shitty is that? 
Right. And then to it's and such then bullshit too. All these people trying to prey on this on this girl and young woman because she happened to get lucky and have land that was valuable. Right. Right. And the idea that a a person of color and a woman of color cannot be responsible for their own money and their own wealth and they need a white man to manage it for them. That's fucked. And I did not know any of that. So thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing that story. And thank you so much, Artemis, for sharing that with us. Yes. All right, Emily. It's your turn. You're you're also doing an Artemis scent story. I am right? also I am also doing an Artemis selection, a hand picked selection yes, from our dear friend Artemis. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the We Fucking Love Artemis episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully there are more in the future. Right. Thanks to Artemis' selection, I am covering Mabel Fairbanks. So Mabel Fairbanks was born on November 14th, 1915 in Florida. So we're going back to a similar period of time because wasn't um, Sarah born in like 19-oh-something? 19-oh-oh-gosh, oh, so I already closed my notes. That's okay, but early 1900s, yes. so similar yep. period of time. She was born in Florida. So according to Wikipedia, she was born in Florida's Everglades, and Everglades was linked. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a town or a city. No, the the literal Everglades. (laughs) Like the legit wetlands. So I'm imagining this like Lion King-esque, like a gator lifts her up for everyone to admire her. It's the circle of life. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't know if it was just poor record keeping or if there's like maybe a county called the Everglades. I don't understand Florida. I don't think anyone does. Right? No. <laughs> so her father was her father was black and her mother was of Seminole heritage. So that was the indigenous tribe that was uh, common in Florida. Her mother was a very generous woman. Mabel said of her, quote, my mother took in everybody, every kid off the street and gave them a place to stay and something to eat. I don't think she meant for that to rhyme, but I got this like poet vibe reading that and I feel really like positive. Yeah, fuck yeah. She continues to say, so I never knew who were my real sisters and brothers, but my older sister told me there were 14. So she's living in almost kind of this like collective group because her mother's just helping any kids who need it. That's nice though. Like Takes a village. I feel like most of us had that friend whose mom kind of took in like strays almost like one of my friend's mom. She was the one where like if you got kicked out of your house or if you yeah, like you could stay there. Like, I feel like if if we were ever going to be parents, which we're not like, I feel like we would be those parents. Yeah. So tragically, her mother died when Mabel was only eight years old. Oh, no. I couldn't find a lot of information on her dad, but it sounds like he wasn't in the picture at this time for whatever reason. He could have left. He could have died. Like, who knows? So after her mother died, Mabel went to live with a teacher of hers, which sounds cool until uh, you learn that the teacher sucked and treated Mabel like a maid. I don't know if... The teacher was white. I kind of wonder if maybe there was like a racial component to that. Either way, the teacher was a bitch (laughs) and basically was like, I have this orphan child that I can make do whatever I want because she has no other options. So clean my fucking toilets. That's terrible. Not willing to play out this Cinderella bullshit, Mabel left the Sunshine State and moved in with one of her brothers who was living in New York City. And honestly, like between Florida man and the leathery retirees roving around in their golf carts, Mabel 
dodged a bullet. She made smart choices <laughs> getting out of Florida. Right. Nothing like, but fuck, gators, fuck retirees, that. and Florida man. <laughs> All the Florida man. So many. <laughs> So living with her brother wasn't going to be a free ride. And I'm not sure exactly how old she was at this time, but she's she's a child. She's a little kid. Like most children in the early 1900s, Mabel had to get a job. She worked for her brother at his fish market in Harlem. So one day a family came into the market and I don't know what the situation was, but they must have looked rough because Mabel threw in some extra fish out of the goodness of her heart. Aww. So they paid for some fish and she's like... Let me give you some extra tuna on the house. Don't tell anyone about it. Like, I got you. Um, Her brother found out about it and she was fired. I also read that the wife, like her brother's wife fired her. But I was like, they both fired her because they both let it happen. She got fired. She got fired. And I'm like, dude, not cool. She is a child. So Mabel was left homeless, jobless, and penniless. She began sleeping on a park bench where a wealthy woman spotted her. Perhaps she had some sympathy or just wanted cheap labor. Regardless, the woman hired Mabel as a babysitter at her home, which overlooks Central Park. Like, this woman is rolling in it. And so for our international listeners, real estate around Central Park is mighty spendy, eh? So, oofta. Oofta. <laughs> I remember when I moved to Minnesota... I was inducted with all these Minnesotaisms and something being, oh, that's mighty spendy, eh? Was one of them. And I, I thought it was a joke. Like, people don't talk that way. And no, I we remember. Do. We do. I was in Barnes & Noble in the CD and DVD section looking at some stuff. Oh, that's old school. This, yeah. And this dude is looking at something. He's like, oh, I don't know. It's mighty spendy, eh? He said A. The A was included. I was like, oh, my God. It's real. <laughs> It was a mind blower. So also, really quick life tip for all of our listeners with children. Do not pick babysitters off the streets. It is definitely not advised. There's care.com. There's sitter city. There's so many other ways to get a reliable babysitter rather than picking them off a park bench. Mabel's a sweetheart. Right. This worked out. She wasn't a murderer. But not everyone does. But please do not do this. So the house that Mabel was working in overlooked the Central Park ice rink, and she could literally see it from the living room window. So Mabel was around 10 or 12 when she first picked up ice skating, having brought her bought herself some used ice skates for a dollar. And as if Mabel isn't already the cutest little orphan Annie baby, the ice skates she bought were two sizes too big. So she stuffed them with cotton to make them fit. (laughs) That is the cutest thing. Mabel, you're so wholesome and precious and I want to hug you. I would pick you off that park bench, but I wouldn't make you work for me. I would just love you. So Mabel taught herself to skate by eavesdropping on lessons given to other skaters. So she's hanging out the the skating rink and she sees people getting lessons. And she's like, oh, this is what you do with the toe pick? Well, let me practice that. Like one enterprising little kid. Yeah, I would never have thought of that. Mabel probably stood out skating in the Central Park rink because she was the only person of color there. She later recalled, quote, Blacks didn't skate there, but it was a public space, so I just carried on. She's like, no one's telling me no, so I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to fucking do it, yeah. Yeah. 
So Mabel enjoyed ice skating and found inspiration when she saw the 1836 film One in a Million, which starred Sonia Henney. So Sonia was a famous Olympic skater and actress in the movie. So just quick summary of the movie because I thought it was funny. In the movie, this dude is stranded in the Alps without any cash. Don't know how that happens. Not a worse. There are worse places to be stranded. So he sees the innkeeper's daughter, who's played by Sonia Henney, ice mm-hmm. skating, and he's like, mm, she's good. I'm going to have her star in an ice ballet, and I'm going to make a bunch of money. And I don't know, maybe they fall in love or something. So since Mabel couldn't skate year-round in Central Park, because I believe it's an outdoor rink, she tried to go to a local indoor rink. But thanks to our old buddy racism ruining the party again, the cashier Jesus wouldn't let Christ. Mabel in. Undeterred, however, Mabel kept coming back until the manager finally let her in. And, like, this is such an underrated superpower. Just annoy people into submission. Right? I need Just to work on that. bombard them with it. it it's, a, it's, one, it's like what we were talking about in our last episode with inspirational quotes being taken right. by for, the wrong people. Yeah. For, like, yeah, I don't want to be annoying. I need to work on that. But there are plenty of naturally annoying or bitchy or entitled people who are like, no, I'm going to fight for what I want. And what I want is to be a fucking bitch. I'm looking at you, Karens. So while there, skater-turned-coach Maribel Vincent Owen spotted Mabel, and she saw potential in the self-taught girl and began to coach her and help her refine her technique. That's awesome. And I didn't find a lot more information about their relationship, but she kind of gave Mabel the professional guidance that she wasn't getting. That That she was getting second-hand by eavesdropping on other people. So there weren't, unfortunately, a lot of opportunities for Mabel to skate, but she did manage to transition into professional skating by performing in skating shows in nightclubs. Wait, what? Right? How did nightclubs have skating rinks? I don't know. Like, can we bring that back? I want to go to a nightclub with a skating rink and just go like while the strobes are. I bet a bunch of people died. You know, back in the day, they used to prescribe you cocaine for problems. So, of course, everyone's going to the south of France. Let's get a bunch of drunk people together and let's give them shoes with blades and put them on ice where they're extra Do clumsy it. it's gonna be it's fine gonna be, it's gonna be fine no it's one's fine. no one's gonna cut each other it's how fine. have we not made that a merch shirt yet it's fine <laughs> it'll be it'll be putting it out there so mabel wasn't allowed to really show off the amazing jumps and spins that she had worked on because as she said quote none of the white skaters wanted to be outshone by someone black so she's she's really good. She's good enough to be in these shows and she can execute these advanced moves, but no one will let her because, well, we can't have the black girl looking so good right, when all the white skaters, bullshit. you know, are being outshown because we have to enforce racial supremacy in every realm of society. So at the time and even now, most figure skaters wore white and black skates because Mabel is a fucking queen. Fuck yeah. She would wear purple or pink skates. Style icon. I love it. Right? To stay at the top of her game, Mabel practiced in a six by six foot rink that her uncle constructed in her room. And like in her room. I have so many questions about that. Where do you get the water? How do you keep it cold? What are the logistics? I had I, I couldn't find any more information about it. But she had this like tiny. I mean, if you think six foot, I'm five foot. Right? Add one more foot, 
turn me into a cross. That's how much room she had that's to practice. Crazy. I'm like, that's nothing. Do you see these professional skiers? They go around once just to get enough momentum to jump and spin. I know. I'm like, it almost feels like why bother? But she clearly got a lot of use out of it. That's but crazy. I have so many questions. I do too. So normally, this is the part of the story where our heroine continues climbing the sports ladder. But again, racism ruins the party. Mabel was not allowed to compete in any national qualifying events for national or international Ugh. competitions or even the fucking Olympics. So despite her skills and promise, those opportunities were completely barred to her due to the color of her skin. So we, we've this covered... This makes me... Ugh. We've covered athletes who have overcome racism and anti-Semitism and all kinds of ba- boundaries before. But in this case... She was not able to overcome it. She was literally just completely shut out. And personally, I would be very bitter. I'm bitter about much lesser things. <laughs> but in an interview, Mabel said, quote, if I had gone to the Olympics and become a star, I would not be who I am today. And I read yeah, that's that. a good way to look at it. I read it. that in the sense that she likes who she is. This yeah. isn't like she's miserable, you know. But it still sucks that it was the color of her skin that denied those opportunities to her. It wasn't her choice. It wasn't her skill level. It was racism. Right. Exactly. It is. It's. It was just complete bullshit. Yeah. In the 1940s, Mabel decided to try her luck out west and move to Los Angeles. There, she began touring internationally with the Ice Capades in Mexico and the Ice Follies. Which is just the cutest little. It is. That like, is cute. So these are like touring companies where they put on ice shows, like ice dance performances. If you've seen Disney on ice, it's like that. Okay. One time, well, in Pasadena, California, Mabel tried to go to the Winter Gardens ice rink when she spied a lovely little sign that said, color trade not solicited. So basically, like, no people of color allowed. Hmm. Whites only. It's like a long, stupid yeah, way, of a way of saying say a horrible that's thing. Bullshit. So Mabel wasn't going to stand for this bullshit and mentioned it to her uncle. I don't know if it's the same uncle who did the ice rink or a different uncle, but this uncle owned a newspaper. Hmm. She later said, quote, my uncle had newspaper articles written about it and passed them out everywhere until they finally let me in. Nice. And like, I, I'm imagining Mabel. She's going up to this place. She's got her skates over her shoulder. She sees the sign. She just goes. Nope. Uh-uh. Not doing this. Right. Will not we're, stand. We're working on this. I will not abide. The dude will not abide by this bullshit. Right. And she just started raising hell. <laughs> so later, Mabel became a teacher operating at Culver Ice Arena, training everyone from skating fans to aspiring champs. So even if you're just like sending your little kid to learn right. to skate, yeah. or if you're like, this kid's going to the Olympics, she trained everyone. One of her students included figure skating champion and Olympian Ty Babliona. Oh. This lady won five U.S. championships and was the world champion of 1979. She's most well known wow. for skating with her partner, Randy Gardner. That's so amazing. Like, so in skating, there's singles where it's just one person doing a routine and there's partner skating, which, you know, it, it's I think it's typically a man and a woman. Yeah, Maybe we yeah. should fucking change that. Uh, right, it should whatever. just be anyone who wants I'm not to. a skater. It's not my job. But, you know, it, it's two people doing a routine yep. together. So Ty said of Mabel, quote, 
We could have been her best student or her beginning student. She treated us the same. And we were all different colors. That was the beauty of Mabel also. Culver Ice Arena was like a rainbow-filled ice arena. We were her kids. We were her kids that she didn't have. Spoiler, she never had kids. (laughs) But But she is offering this opportunity to children of color that she didn't really have. That's you know, amazing, she, she's though. taking her experience and like paying it forward. Mabel began to coaching Ty when she was only eight years old and introduced Aww. her to pair skating. So Ty said, quote, I didn't even know what pair skating was. And she simply and she being Mabel simply said, hold his hand and skate around the rink. And she's referring referring to, I believe, Andy Gardner, who she eventually became like really famous with. Ty goes on to say, I was eight years old. Randy had cooties, and he was a much better better skater Aww. than I was. That is fucking precious. That's adorable. And Ty's the same age that Mabel was when she lost her mother, and her whole life was... Th- like, she had to basically become an adult at eight years old, and now she's able to, like, help Ty learn skating and do all that. Right? Like, that That's just amazing. makes me happy. So Randy was a much better skier than I was, and he was outgoing and I was shy. What was she thinking? That's the one question I never asked her. What was she thinking when she put us together? But I thank her every night before I go to bed for creating Ty and Randy. I'm not crying. You're Uh, crying. (laughs) (laughs) So... What is so special about skating partners Ty Babliona and Randy Gardner? I know you're asking. Yes, I am. Because we are not we are not ice what skaters. What is so special? Thank you for asking, Kelly. I appreciate your inquisitive nature. Good. <laughs> well, first of all, Ty became the first figure skater of African American descent to compete in the US team at the Olympics and win world titles. Wow. So she was also a Filipino and Native American descent, but it, it said specifically African American, so I'm not sure if she was the first person of color or just the first person of African-American descent. But still, as we talked about, like a lot of sports barred entry for people of color. So this is all amazing. So Because either way, she's breaking down barriers with her knife shoes. She's kicking down those doors right? and she's like, you want some knife of this? Shoes. And just sticking up her feet. Fuck yeah. I will slice you. Together, <laughs> together, Ty and Randy became the second U.S. pair team to ever become world pair champions wow. at the World Figure Skating Championships in 1979. The first U.S. pair team to do this was in 1950. So that's an almost 30-year gap yeah. between the first and the second. When performing, the two were in total sync, and they were hugely successful, even being inducted into the U.S. Figure Skating Ooh. Hall of Fame. And I, I want to find more information, and there are videos that you can see of their performance, and it's one of those things, whenever I see any professional ice skier perform, I'm blown away, because I can't imagine having the strength, oh, the right. grace, and the skill to execute those it's things. so amazing. But if you're more experienced, I'm sure you're able to s- appreciate it more. But seriously, look it up. The videos are cool. Ty was not the only champion Mabel coached. She also coached Tiffany Chin, Scott Hamilton, a toy. Do you I know, know that, that one? Name? I know Scott See, Hamilton. I don't know that name. Well, I, I briefly skated when I was younger. Okay. And Scott, he was a big one. Uh, a toy Wilson, Rudy Galindo, and this is the one I know, Christy Yamaguchi. Yep, that's a big name. I know name Christy too. Yamaguchi, and I know Michelle Kwan. I also that's know. 
now I'm blanking on who was the skater whose boyfriend like destroyed like beat up another skater. I don't know. Tanya, Tanya. Oh, Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding and who oh my god. I just listened to the hashtag history about this. I am the worst. I have to re-listen to it. That's all that means. Yeah. Seriously, check out the hashtag history episode about Tanya Harding. It is amazing. So uh, Mabel's penchant for coaching champions did not go unnoticed. And she was also or and she also coached the children of celebrities. So she became a big deal. Everyone's realizing, man, she's an amazing coach. She's coaching these champions. I want my little five year old to go and study under her because I have the money to do it. Jeff Galuli attacked Nancy Kerrigan. That's Nancy Kerrigan. Thank you. So, in 1997, Mabel was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis, uh, which is a neuromuscular disease. And it, it, you, you start to lose the ability to use certain muscles, and it can really affect your face. So, like, one part of your face can droop. Then, in 2001, she was diagnosed with acute leukemia. Oh, no! She died on September 29th of the same year. So they diagnosed her and they were like, yeah, this is this is over. And she died That's the same so year. Sad. Uh, she died in Burbank, California. It was probably California. one of those things that they're like, you're in stage four. There's nothing we can do. When when I read acute, that's kind of that was kind of telling for me. Like, this is not good. Um, so she died in Burbank, California, and she was buried at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Oh. And there, I, I guess there's a famous mausoleum there that's like on an island in the water. And she's right by the bridge that leads to that mausoleum. If anyone is, you know, in proximity to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery and wants to visit Mabel, leave her some flowers for us. Legacy, please. In 1997, while she was still alive, Mabel became the first black person to be inducted into the U.S. Figure Skating Hall of Fame. In October of 2001, shortly after Mabel died, she was inducted into the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame. Thai Babylonia, in particular, is dedicated to sharing Mabel's story. So Thai said, quote, I made her a promise that we would share her incredible story of strength and perseverance that led to paving the way for minorities to compete and flourish in the sport of figure skating. Wow. So Ty has teamed up with Atoy Wilson, who is another one of Mabel's former students who I mentioned earlier, and they are spreading the word about Mabel's forgotten legacy in sports. So they're working on a TV project about Mabel that I am fucking here for because yes. i wanted to know so many more details and it was kind of like the 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 resources that rm has shared were wonderful and there was a, i was able to pull a lot of quotes but i'm like i i just feel like i'm missing so much right. though mabel wasn't able to pursue competitive skating she used her experience and skills to train the next generation of athletes in a loving supportive and inclusive environment and that is the story of mother of champions, Mabel Fairbanks. That's amazing. She really is the mother of champions. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It was a great story. Thank, thank you, you, Emily. Thank and you, thank Artemis. you, Artemis. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have we mentioned that we're really thankful for Artemis and that we love them in this episode? Right. Have we at all? We're, we're terrible. We haven't said it at all. We haven't I'm given so them sorry. any credit. I love you, Artemis. <laughs> You're amazing. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? Besides Artemis? <laughs> <laughs> who I am thankful for my husband, who 
made us what I am assuming is a delicious dinner that I can smell wafting through my home. It right is now. painful. Although I ordered the same meal through HelloFresh, so I'm probably gonna have that like tomorrow, and I'm excited. I'll let you know how it is. So yeah, what are you thankful for? Um, this is kind of like a like a hashtag humble brag, but I just recently donated blood, and it was my gallon. Oh, was it really? It so was what my did, What did you get? I so I got a pin. Nice. That I will be putting on my girl gang jean jacket, and then you know they they give you little gifts when you hit certain milestones, like they have Fitbits and things when you donate like a fuck ton of blood. Yeah, they do. I, I think you have to donate like a whole person's worth of blood. But I got to choose between a uh, a red tumbler that said, you know, the the clinic donor bank, or a t shirt that said, "Am I your type?" and had like a bunch of blood really? drops around it. Oh, I would have gotten that. I got the tumbler because mm. I'm like, I have I, too many tumblers. Though. I'm gonna use the tumbler immediately, and I'm like, the shirt. I'm coming for it though. I am coming for you, shirt. <laughs> Because I, I don't know. I thought that was cute and fun. So that is cute. But I don't know. It, it felt good to do to do that. I think especially when you're feeling really low and even maybe unhappy with yourself or your life or you're just feeling kind of bummed out. Doing something positive that helps someone else is the best way to boost your own mood. Yeah. And so that that did that for me. And also the best thing about donating blood is that they tell you to don't work out and eat a bunch of food and I'm like thank you I've been looking for permission to do these things that I love to do (laughs) be lazy and eat (laughs) so yeah all right well thank you so much for listening to another episode of whining about herstory please like us on Facebook at whining about herstory Instagram at WAH pod where you can see our highly controversial posts about moments in women's history (laughs) and the most embarrassing day in American history Twitter at WAH At WAH underscore pod, where I think we also talk about our most embarrassing moment in history, although it's not, uh, unless you're talking about Donald Trump becoming president, mm. then it might be. It's, um, it's up there. It's in the mix. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, maybe top 10. Maybe. Um, we also have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com, an email address, whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where you could email us, much like Artemis did, and become a fan episode. I was going to say, so if you donate, I believe it's at the $20 level of our Patreon, you, you get pick to pick an episode. You get you get to pick a woman for us to cover. But also, if you just email us, we'll just talk about how much we love you the entire time. Right. <laughs> also, I, I think the $20, you can either pick a woman or like a topic where you're like, if you're like, I really want you to cover like Ice women, women in wrestling. Women know. in wrestling. Yeah. I like that. Someone donate $20 and pick that as a topic. Yes. And please rate us five stars wherever you listen. We also have a merch shop, which we have been adding new designs to. Mm. We're very excited about it. Some of our uh, designs include Herstory Hero, which Kelly did, where there's like yeah. a, a woman with, with a, a flag. and Sorry, cape. Why did I say flag? <laughs> Like claiming the moon. (laughs) We have one that says, get ready for some linguistic butchery. Um, We have when the road gets hard, the tough get tipped. Or when the road gets tough, the tough Tough get get tipsy. tipsy. Which I love. Uh, We've got a bunch of cool stuff on there. So it's a great way to support the show. Um, And yeah, rating us five stars. If you don't have the funds to support us through Patreon or our merch, it's free. Please leave us reviews. It's free. It's going to make you feel really good. Almost as good as donating a gallon of blood. Actually, probably better. Because if you do that all at once, you will die. Right. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And as always, have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.